God is not fair. God is not fair. I want you to just let that sit with you for just a moment and take some inventory inside and ask yourself, how does that make you feel when I say that God is not fair? That's one of the things that we're going to look at this morning as we continue in this mini-series we began a couple weeks ago called Lost and Found. As a bit of a recap, uh, we're looking at some of Jesus' parables, some of the teachings of Jesus, all centered around this particular theme of being lost and found. Uh, and so I'm going to set the context for you as we jump into this final, final parable of the three. We'll start back at the beginning. Luke sets the context in this way. He says uh, in Luke chapter 15, verse 1, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. If you read through the Gospels very much, you'll see that this is a consistent theme, that Jesus' interaction, that Jesus' welcoming of the the tax collectors and the sinners is is something that consistently irritates the the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, because the Pharisees and teachers of the law see Jesus hanging out with these people who, in one way or another, seem to have rejected God. The tax collectors were viewed as uh, traitors. They were working for the, for the enemy. They were working for the Roman government. Sinners were people in one way or another whose life, whose choices seemed to have rejected the law of God. And so the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law look at Jesus hanging out with these people who were viewed as rejects or, or who had rejected God in one way or the other. And they couldn't understand why Jesus would spend time with this group of people who didn't seem to be concerned about the things of God. So... One of the points I want to make, we've talked about this before, Uh, I wrote this in my notes, the Pharisees should not be seen as representatives of Judaism, though. They should be seen as representatives of the misguided religious elite of all kinds. And I want to unpack that a little bit because sometimes we can look at the Pharisees and we can say, oh, look, they represent Judaism and, and, and Judaism is all based on works righteousness and all of this stuff. And we can end up missing the point that the Pharisees, there were Jewish Pharisees and there are Christian Pharisees. Pharisees are, are what uh, they are, the misguided religious elites of all forms, people who become more concerned about religious form and religious uh, ritual than they are about the people that the, the religion is there to help to begin with. And so it can be easy for us to discount the Pharisees and say, oh, well, that was just the, the, the Jewish group and forget that there can be Christian Pharisees just as much as there were Jewish Pharisees. We can, we can slide into religious elitism just as much as any other religion. It's not, uh, it's not unique just to Judaism. It, religious elite religious elitism of all kinds is present and if we're not careful we can tend to slip in that way so the pharisees are representatives of the misguided religious elitism of all kinds and and so what we're looking at when jesus responds to their criticism he responds to them by telling some stories by speaking in parables parables were stories with a point designed to help jesus's audience remember the point and uh, understand god in a new way so jesus responds by telling some stories and by telling these stories he hopes that he can get them to understand just why he's spending so much of his time with the people that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law think that he should reject. 
So last couple of weeks, we looked at two of the parables, the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. Today, we're going to continue with the third parable in the series. It's often called the parable of the prodigal son, although that's not necessarily the best title. Uh, If we've got the lost sheep and the lost coin, I think a better title is the parable of the lost son. Uh, As I'm going to tell you a little bit later, I think there's maybe even a better title uh, that we're going to get to in a little bit. But what you're going to notice is that this parable, the parable of the lost son, is significantly different from the parables of the lost sheep and the parables of the lost coin. Because people are different than sheep and coins, right? People are more complicated than sheep and coins. And so in this third parable, we're going to see a few things that are a little bit different. Jesus goes in a little bit more depth. So here's how he starts the story. Jesus continued... There was a man who had two sons. Jesus begins, there was a man with two sons. Now, for everybody who had faithfully attended Saturday school, for people who had read their Old Test, their Bible, what we call the Old Testament, they would realize that this theme of a man having two sons was a common theme in the Hebrew Scriptures. You know, this, this theme of two sons carries through. So they would have noticed a theme here as Jesus begins this parable. There was a man who had two sons. Now, as we continue through the story, I I, I know that this may be a familiar parable for a lot of you. You may have read this before. You may have heard this parable preached on before, maybe multiple times. And so you sort of know the point of the story, but I'm going to ask you to slow down just a little bit. I'm going to ask you to try to hear this parable again for the first time as much as possible, to hear it again fresh. And as you do it, I want you to pay attention to how the characters in this story make you feel. As we read through the story, pay attention to what's going on inside of your heart and, and, and how these characters make you feel. Do they make you feel angry? Do they make you feel upset? Do they make you feel jealous? Do they make you feel sympathetic, sad, happy? Pay attention to how they make you feel. So there was a man who had two sons. Jesus continues the story. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, this is somewhat unusual. Usually in that culture, for somebody to receive their share of the inheritance, their share of the estate, they would have to wait for their father to pass away, for their father to die. At that point, then the inheritance would be divided up among the remaining children. Uh, In this particular case, it's a little unusual that this particular son asked for his share of the inheritance while his father was still living. It wasn't completely unusual. This happened at times. Uh, You might hear some preachers say this was basically the younger son telling his father, well, I wish you were dead. That's not quite true. Um, It wasn't that unusual, but it was somewhat unusual within that time period to ask for your inheritance while your father was still alive. Uh, And yet, in this particular case, the father... uh, gave in, the father acknowledged his son's request, and he divided the property between them. Now, in ancient culture, uh, this is usually how inheritance worked. Uh, The eldest son would usually get a double portion, and then the following children would receive um, a smaller amount. So probably what this young man got was a third of the estate, which means that the father would have had to go and potentially sell off some land, sell off some of his assets in order to liquidate that to give the the assets, to give the the cash to the son who was asking for it. So uh, this took some... This took some giving on the uh, part of the father, uh, and he had, to, he had to give up some of what was his while he was still alive to meet his son's request, but he did it anyway. So I just want you to think about, you know, if you were this particular father, if you were this parent, how would you feel if your, if your child came to you and asked for their share of the inheritance while you were still alive? Would that make you feel upset? Would you, uh, would that, would you be understanding? How would you feel if your child came to you and asked for their share of the inheritance while you were still alive? 
Jesus continues the story. He says, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Squandered his wealth in wild living. If, if this was uh, happening today in the 21st century, we might say he went off to Las Vegas and spent all he had on, on you know, wine and women and, and gambling and all of, the, all of the party scene that you can imagine. You know, think of uh, any Vegas movie you've ever seen, people going and just wasting all of their money um, you know, on the slot machines and all of the, the pleasures of uh, you know, what life can bring in that whole party scene. That, that's what we picture with this guy. They didn't have a Las Vegas back in first century Palestine, but they had lots of ways that you could waste your money on, on wild living. And so this is what this young man did. So now what I want you to ask yourself is, how do you feel about the younger son right now? This younger son who went to his father and asked for his inheritance, and then no longer did he get it. He takes off, he, and he goes into a far country, and he wastes it all on wild living, just spends it all on, on wine and women and, and everything else that uh, irresponsible you can think of. How does this make you feel? If, you know, if you're the father, and you imagine that your child does this to you, does this, does this make you feel angry? Does this make you feel disappointed? Does this make you feel nothing? Do you, you, know, do you understand? Um, how do you feel about this younger son right now? Jesus goes on with the story. He says, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So he goes out and he wastes everything that he's got, and then a famine comes along, and he finds himself now penniless and looking for work, and the only work that he can find is feeding pigs. Now, remember, Jesus is speaking to a Jewish audience, and for a Jewish audience, pigs are unclean. To, to work with the pigs is about as low as you can go uh, vocation-wise because you're, cont- you're making yourself unclean every day. So a lot of us... If we're kind of honest, our first reaction may be, well, serves him right, doesn't it? That's what you get for wasting your inheritance uh, on wild living. It serves him right. He ought to, you know, spend a little bit of time with the pigs and, and get himself together. Some of us are probably thinking, that's, that's exactly where he ought to be. That's, that's right where he deserves to be. If, if he's going to rebel against his father in that way, well, he deserves to, to be on the outside as low as he can go. And maybe that'll teach him a few lessons. Right? And maybe that's true, right? Maybe, maybe we, we, you know, we, if we make bad decisions, we, we deserve the uh, fruit of those bad decisions. Maybe some, some of that is true. Um, Jesus continues the story. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your servants. So he got up and went to his father. So he realizes that he's at the bottom of the barrel. And one of the things that's interesting about this parable as we compare it to the first two, with the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin, the, the shepherd and the woman went out in search of the things that were lost, Right? In this particular case, this parable is different because the father didn't go out in search of the lost son. And that's one of the reasons I said that people are different from sheep and from coins. Um, Sometimes when it comes to people, as difficult as it may be, sometimes people have to hit the bottom before they are ready to come back home. 
And, and that's just sometimes running after somebody before they're ready to come back can be counterproductive. And so that's what's happening here. This young man had to hit rock bottom before he was ready to come home. So he, he devises this plan to come back home. He says, you know what? I'm not getting anything here. Even my father's servants are better. So it'd be better for me to be a servant in my father's house than a servant here in the stranger's house in this faraway land. So he decides to go back and make himself no longer a son, but a servant. Now, one of the interesting things about this particular record is when you read different scholars on the subject, people are a little uh, divided. Some people think that he was very sincere, that he had really reached the bottom and that he was actually making a turn for the better and that he was, uh, he was really repentant in his heart, that he felt bad about what he had done and that he was going back in a, in a spirit of repentance. Other scholars, on the other hand, say, oh, no, he was just, you know, he's always been a conniving little, little guy, and he's being a conniving little guy in this sense, too. He's just making this up so that he can fill his belly, uh, so he can save his own skin. So I just want to take a, a poll in the audience. Uh, I want to see where you are. Raise your hand if you think that uh, the young man was truly repentant. All right, raise your hand if you think that he was just trying to save his own skin. He was just trying to go back. All right, some of you do. I appreciate the honesty. Uh, you know, and, and that's, you know, we know people like that, people who will take advantage of other people's grace, right? People who will take advantage of other people's mercy and generosity. And, and the thing is, we don't know. The text doesn't tell us what his exact motivations were. Perhaps he was sincere. Perhaps his repentance was real. Perhaps he really felt bad. And perhaps he was just trying to save his own skin. And he knew that daddy was a kind-hearted man. And if he went back, well, he'd uh, be able to get some food in his belly. Jesus doesn't tell us what his motivation was. So he goes back to his father. This is how Jesus continues the story. Uh, While he was still a long way off, his father saw him. So he's coming back from a faraway country. I want you to picture this. And you have his father over here. His father looks out the window as he's drinking a cup of coffee. And he sees him coming up the driveway. So now I want you to ask yourself, what would you do? If you were in this situation and it was your child who had taken his share of the inheritance, made you sell some of your assets already while you were still alive, and then he went off to a faraway country without so much as a letter, a phone call, uh, a text message, anything like that, wasted all of the money on wild living, and here he's now walking back up your driveway. You know what's gone on. What would you do? How would you react to this young man who had so severely mistreated you, who had uh, rebelled against you, who had taken what you had given him and wasted it all? What would you do? Would you turn him around and send him back and say, hey, you had your chance. You know, I gave, I gave you everything that, that you asked for. You had your chance. You've got you to gotta, uh, do this on your own. You're on your own now, buddy. You know, this is, that's it. You know, you're, you're gone. You're done. What, what would you do? Well, here's what the father in the story does, according to Jesus. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with what? Compassion. He was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. Is that what you would do? Is that, is that your first inclination? If somebody who rebelled against you and wasted what you had given them, would it, is that your first inclination is to run towards them and hug them and kiss them and welcome them back into your, into your arms? Maybe. Maybe not. Jesus continues the story. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. You know, he's, he's now saying the, the thing he'd been practicing the whole way home. He's been walking along, practicing what he's going to say to his father. He gets about halfway through and his father interrupts him. And his father says this. His father said to his servants, quick, 
Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Would you celebrate if somebody had rebelled against you, who had taken what you had uh, given them and wasted it all and then came back? Would, would that be a cause for celebration for you that he was now back? Well, for this father, it was. Jesus continues the story. Meanwhile, however, the older brother was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. So now I want you to pretend that you're the older brother. Here you have been. You you didn't request your portion of the inheritance. You didn't go off into a wild country and into a foreign country and waste it wild living. You stayed home and you did what was right this whole time. You helped your father. You worked the fields. You worked. The, you milked the cows in the morning. You did your chores. You know you did what you were supposed to. You were the good son. And all of a sudden now you hear that your brother is back in town after wasting it all on on wild living. And now your dad has thrown a party for him. How would you feel? At this particular point, if you were the older brother, how would you feel? Would you feel jealous? Would you feel angry? Would you, you know, what, what, uh, what emotions would well up inside of you? Well, Jesus tells us what he felt. He says the older brother became angry and refused to go in. And we can understand that, right? I mean, if, you know, for him, spending all of his time doing what was right uh, while his brother had wasted it, and now his brother gets the party. So he refuses to go into the party. Jesus says his father comes out. His father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving away for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, uh, who squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. We can kind of relate, right? We can kind of understand why this older brother might be a little testy over this. He's done everything right, and yet his brother gets the party. You can understand why he might feel a little jealous. In other words, here's the translation. Here's his brother's translation. Dad, it's not fair. It's not fair that he went out and wasted everything, and now he comes back, and he gets a party, and I've worked hard all of these years while he was gone, and I've done everything right, and I don't get the party. Dad, it's not fair. Have you ever felt that way about something? As Americans, we value fairness, right? We value fairness. We want things to be fair. Here's the principle. Fair does not always mean right. Fair does not always mean godly. Fair is not always Christ-like. God is not fair. Again, Jesus doesn't tell stories just for the point of being entertaining. Jesus tells stories with a point, designed to teach truths, spiritual truths. And in this story, the Father is intended to represent God's heart towards the lost. Remember the context. Jesus is sitting with tax collectors and sinners, people who had rejected and rebelled against God, 
And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who had done all of these things right are criticizing Jesus for being so compassionate and generous to these people who had rejected God. And so in this story, the father represents God. The father represents God. And the point, the the principle that Jesus is talking, God is not fair. As a matter of fact, Psalm chapter 103, uh, verse 10 says, He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. In other words, God is not fair, and that's a good thing, right? If God had been fair to us, if God treated us as our sins deserved or repaid us according to our iniquities, we probably wouldn't like the results, right? Because if we're honest, if we look back, we know that we have done some things that have hurt other people. And we did them maybe on purpose. We, we didn't just make mistakes. We sinned, right? We have done things in rebellion against God and his ways. And if he treated us as our sins deserved, then we might not like the result. God was not fair to us. If God was fair, he would have given us what we deserved for our sins. Instead, he gave us grace and he gave us mercy and he gave us compassion and generosity and a new life. God is not fair and that's a good thing. Now, here's the thing. We want God to be merciful towards us, but fair to others, right? We want God to be merciful towards us, but fair to others. In this particular case, the son um, wanted fairness. He wanted his brother to be treated fairly. And if his brother was to be treated fairly, his, his father would have sent him away, right? But he, his father didn't treat him fairly. He treated him with mercy and forgiveness, just like God has treated us, which is the entire point of this whole parable. Jesus teaching that this is what God is like. God is a God who is abounding in love, abounding in grace, abounding in mercy, abounding in forgiveness, even when we don't deserve it. Uh, Jesus continues the story. Uh, the father puts words in the father's mouth. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. And I think this is really significant. In other words, what he was saying is, is son, you've, you've missed the point. You, you could have killed a fattened calf anytime you wanted. You could have had a party anytime you wanted. You didn't understand how secure you were already in your relationship with me. You didn't understand the, you know, that everything that I have is already yours. You, you've always been here with me. Everything I have is yours already. You didn't, we don't need to throw a, a special party for you because you could have thrown a party anytime you wanted. It's all been yours all along. He goes on, we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead. And is alive. He was lost and is found. So I told you earlier that this parable is often called the parable of the prodigal son, which I think that's not the best term. If we want to keep uh, in line with the other two, the parable of the lost son is probably better. But I wonder if maybe we shouldn't call it the parable of the lost sons. The parable of the lost sons, because they were both lost in a different way, weren't they? One squandered everything while living. The other didn't understand the security of the relationship that was already there. He didn't understand that he, that he was already fine with the father and that everything that he had was his. And so in his own way, he was kind of lost. And, and he ended up missing the point, just like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had missed the point of why Jesus was spending time with these tax collectors and these sinners. So I've got a question for you. Which brother are you in the story? Which sibling are you in the story? Are you the one? Maybe you have found yourself running from God. 
Maybe you have found yourself living uh, wildly, wasting what God has given you in wild living. Maybe you've done that for a while and now you've found yourself down at the bottom of the pit and, and you just think, you know, there's no way that God could possibly welcome me back home, not after what I've done. Thomas, if you only knew how bad it was, if you only knew how far down I was, there's no way that God could welcome me back into his arms. And, and the point of this parable is that, yes, God is a loving father and he's not fair. He doesn't give you what you deserve. God is the, is the father waiting for you to come home with open arms, wanting to run out to you and wrap his arms around you and kiss your neck and throw a party for you and celebrate when you come back home. So if you are the younger son who has maybe run away, maybe you have left home for a while and you've done some things that you're not proud of and you're wondering, what, is, there, is there any chance? What happens if I go back home? Is God going to be angry with me? Is he going to punish me? Is he going to uh, smite me for my sins? Then the answer to that is no. The point of this story, the point that Jesus is trying to illustrate is that God is a, is a loving God. He's a loving heavenly father who wants nothing more than for you to come home and offer you forgiveness and grace and a home once again. God is not fair. He will not give you what you deserve. He will give you grace and mercy and forgiveness. And all you have to do is ask. You can come home. You can come home. Some of us are probably like the older brother in the story where we've, you know, we've grown up in church. We've done everything right the whole life. We, we never went out and did anything, any of that wild living. We, you know, at least not as bad as some people, right? We, maybe we've done some things, but it definitely wasn't as bad as those sinners out there, right? But so, we, you know, we've sort of done everything right all along, and, and you know, and, and we've, we've, not, we've not hit rock bottom. It, and maybe we find ourselves sometimes feeling a little bit judgmental, a little bit unwelcoming, a, a little bit wishing that maybe God would be more fair, towards those people who would run away. And maybe for us, we, we need to recognize that maybe we're lost in a little bit of a different way. That, that at one time, whether we realized it or not, we were the son that had run away. We were the child that had run away. Maybe not in the same degree as others, but we have. And if, and if we're honest, we realize that we're not perfect. We haven't done everything right. We have done things in rebellion to our Heavenly Father, and He's forgiven us. And, and, and maybe we need to, if, if we're the older brother, we need to ask God to change our heart, to, to help us change our attitude towards those who are still out there, to, to not be so judgmental and so harsh, but to realize that God's will for them is to come home and to pattern our heart after God. So whichever brother you may find yourself relating to in this story, the, the, you know, the, the father draws them both in. To the one who ran away, he said, welcome back, I love you. And to the one who was feeling harsh and judgmental, he said, listen, we're fine Everything I have is yours. You can have a party anytime you want. I need you to help me welcome him back in. Whichever brother you find yourself in the story, uh, God is drawing you back. He wants you to understand the depth of his love and the depth of his grace and the depth of his forgiveness. So here's the bottom line. God is not fair, and that's a good thing. God is not fair. And that's a good thing. As we sang earlier and as we're going to sing again here in just a minute, it's not the fairness of God that leads us to repentance. It's his kindness. It's his goodness. We have a good, good father. So I'm going to say a word of prayer. Jerry's going to come back up and we're going to sing the first verse and chorus of kindness one more time. Lord, we thank you for these stories that you have preserved 
for us in Scripture. We thank you for these stories that paint a picture of who you are. Father, with the the shepherd who goes out and search for that lost sheep, for the woman who goes searching for that lost coin, for that father who welcomes the lost son with open arms. We thank you, God, that you are that kind of a God, a God who is consumed with finding the lost, a God who offers forgiveness and grace and mercy and welcomes us back when we've strayed. Father, we thank you for these pictures and we pray that you would continue to shape us wherever we are. Father, if we're that lost sheep, if we're that lost coin, if we're that wayward child, that you would draw us back to you, that you would remind us that you love us, that you care for us, that you want the best for us, that you are waiting with arms wide open. And Father, if we find ourselves maybe in the, in the seat of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law of that older son, that you would help us remember that at one time we were the one that was lost and that you rescued us and that you would remind us once again of your grace and your mercy and that you would help us to extend that same grace and mercy towards others, wherever they may be. Father, we thank you that we were once lost, but in your grace you found us. I thank you for these things in Jesus' strong name. Amen.